0: You're listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into his word. I was thinking as we were singing Build Your Church and I was actually listening to that song driving in today and it just struck me that we keep singing those words over and over and over again in that psalm build your church build your church it's what jesus said to peter right when he said i upon this rock i jesus will build my church and i was thinking it's like the lord said you know you sing that a lot and then when i build the church the way i want to build it you often have a problem like we said, like, build your church, God. Build your church, Lord. And then when Jesus builds it the way he wants to build it, we're like, well, not like that, God. Well, I don't want it to look like that, Lord. Well, I don't want to hear that message. You now, if Jesus is building his church, then it's up to us to submit to him as he builds the church, as he desires in the earth to glorify his name, not our name. So that song just hit a little differently this morning for me. And I hope maybe it does for you. As a matter of fact, there's some words that we were singing this morning in light of this morning's message that I thought, man, that makes, that just, that makes more sense. Or that I, I, I understand that maybe differently than I did before. Isn't that the power of God's word and his revelation that we hear and understand things maybe differently as we submit to him and we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word? Even in worship, that we would understand what we're singing and sing it with a true heart. All right, that has nothing to do with this morning's message, but I just felt compelled to share that. Summer vacation is upon us. Mission trips, college, business trips, the hospital, COVID, war. They all have something in common. Do you know what it is? Now, don't strain too hard because I'm going to tell you. But uh, my kids, my youngest kids right now, have an affinity towards riddles for some reason. I don't know what it is with middle schoolers and riddles, but it's like, Dad, uh, here's, and they'll give me all these things, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Even when they give me the answer sometimes, I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, But it's a riddle, and they like to see if I can figure out the riddle. Sometimes I think they're making them up on the fly, because I'm just as dumbfounded as uh, I could be when they're done explaining it to me. But in this case, this is a riddle, maybe like the $20,000 pyramid or now whatever it is, a million-dollar pyramid. But these things have in common this one particular thing. The one thing they all have in common is they're all things that you return from, or at least you hope so. In our most recent context, I guess you could say that we are uh, returning back to some normalcy over the last few years. Like since the late 2019 until now, it's been really a lot of craziness, a lot of roller coasters, ups and downs. Are we doing this? Are we not doing this? Are we going back to normal? Are we not going back to normal? What I would say is we're never going back to normal. And I believe that's a design that God has for the church, that it's not going to get back to some sort of normalcy like we've known before in many ways. But all of us are experiencing the return That's what we're doing. We're returning back to some type of normalcy, if you will. For example, this past Easter that we celebrated here was the first time in about three years that we had Easter that wasn't affected by COVID or other types of things or Masters for us here in this context. Speaking of Masters, this year was marked the first time in a few years that the golf tournament actually had a full number of patrons out on the course. The NBA playoffs, maybe you're watching that. This is the first year that they're not doing it in a while. Like last year was in the bubble. This year they've got arena full of fans and travel, air travel, and other things have normalized for the most part. So while events, establishments, and things, and community stuff that we do is opening back up and it's back to normal, and and for the most part, the, the more important question is how are we handling this return? How are we returning as people? Better question is, how's the church returning back to normal? Any Lord of the Ring fans in here? Anybody watch those movies? I'm kind of talking about the main trilogy and the others. That's fine. But in Return of the King, there is a scene in this movie where Faramir, who is brave but the unloved son of Denethor, and and he is basically given a suicide mission to go out against an innumerable number of orcs and try to defeat them. Before he leaves, he looks at his broken and embittered father and he says to him, If I should return, father, think the better of me. And his father says, That will depend on the manner of your return. Now, I'm not making an analogy or comparison between Denethor and God because there is no comparison. Denethor is a terrible father and God is a good father. But what I want you to see is what he is saying is true. How we return matters. And in this case, when we return from a fight or a battle, we're not always the same. Even if we think about all the things that I just mentioned to start off this message, summer is about to start. That's one of the reasons why I'm actually doing this message today because if you know church metrics and numbers, what they say is Mother's Day is the last big Sunday of the year as far as it relates to attendance, and then attendance starts to decline all throughout the summer until there's just a a you know a less people here, until the second Sunday in August when school returns, and then the attendance picks back up. So we know that typically speaking, the numbers start to go down. Summer happens. People go on vacation vacation people have things to do people decide well it's summer I'm going to take a break from church and God I'll get back to him when the school year starts when I need him whatever it is we do something and then we return from it or at least I hope so because some people check out and never return Summer's coming. Some young people are going to be going on a mission trip this summer. How they return matters. Some of you are going to go off to college in the fall. Some of you are going to go back home this summer after finishing college. How you return matters. What about war? Have you ever thought about the difference between those that return from particular wars, maybe those that return from Vietnam differing from those that return from other wars, and how they were received? back to our broader context where the world is just now getting back to returning maybe from covid and you could say well i didn't really think much about it well most of the world did and closer to home the summer of 2020 returning from that in general in all of its racial and political ecclesiological tensions that meaning the church how we return matters what is the manner of our return The reason this matters is because we will be returning from all kinds of different things throughout the rest of our lives. Sometimes you're just returning proverbially or metaphorically, sometimes you're returning literally, but we're returning from difficult things in life and how do we respond? But as believers, how we return, particularly from difficulty and tragedy and trials, matters. I don't think anybody could look at the news I don't think anybody can look at your social media feeds or whatever you might watch and think that we've done a good job of returning back to normal as people. We haven't. Maybe some of these statistics that I'm about to go through have other explanations. That's the nature of statistics. But many of them show that we've not done well. Like statistics show that in 2021 was one of the worst for American drivers in history. We return to our normal driving routines, but doing so more recklessly, crashing our cars more and killing more pedestrians at a higher rate. Early 2021 saw the highest number of unruly passenger incidents, according to the FAA, ever. Maybe you saw the video of Mike Tyson punching the guy in the first class who was bugging him and wouldn't leave him alone. I mean, I'd have punched him too. He just punched him and then he got off the plane and left. You could probably ask healthcare workers, even here, because we have a lot of them, how their patients have been behaving since the return. Car thefts have spiked 14% last year. And as my friend, pastor friend in Austin, Texas, Morgan Stevens, said, if there were a national tracker of school board hissy fits, it would be spiking with elevated data points up and to the right. Because we aren't returning so well. So if we as a nation or a world are not returning very well, my next question is, how are you doing? And maybe a better question when I say, how are you doing, is how are we doing? How is the church doing at returning into normal, quote-unquote, life? We know it didn't, the church didn't nationally go well because statistically they say somewhere between 50 to 60% of the people pre-COVID did not return to the church. Now those numbers have gradually gone up, but not very fast. So how do we return well as believers? How do we as Christians look different from the world around us? As the body of Christ who is supposed to display the manifold wisdom of God in the earth, how do we look How do we look different? So our text today is all about that, returning, and it's found in the book of Ruth. So let's read some of it as we talk about returning, particularly from tragedy and difficulty. So if you have your Bible, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to read that. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name, his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites, Ephrathites. I'm sorry, from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived about 10 years there, both Milan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word changes from the inside out. Now, Elimelech and his family are in the middle of their own national crisis. Not COVID, not race, not politics per se, but famine. And most of the time in this time, famine was indication of God's judgment on the people. Nothing like a terrible national crisis to test the genuineness of our faith. Commentators basically say there was a crisis of faith for a lemon-like here, and he failed. As his answer to the famine was not to trust God, but to move to a pagan neighboring country where things were good until things got better at home. Verse 1 says, Israel was in the day when judges ruled, which in historical terms meant chaos and lawlessness. This is a time where, listen, I'm going to give you over to everything you want to do. You want, you want to be ruled by judges? That's how you want it? Okay, here you go. And it was chaos, and it was lawlessness. Everybody did what they wanted to do without regard to God. Apparently, Israelites were assaulting gate agents at the camel station and angrily screaming at, at priest and parent Torah meetings. Okay, that was a joke, but man, y'all are like summer asleep. All right, maybe it was a dad joke, but that's fine. No dads in here. Okay, good. Angrily screaming. I mean, instead of remaining faithful in the land God had given them, Elimelech moves his wife, Naomi, to Moab, gives his sons foreign names. They marry Moabite women, going against what God had told them to do, but then it gets worse. Have you ever noticed that how you making your own decisions in your own strength, in your own wisdom, exerting your own control over situations usually leads them from bad to worse? And yet we still do it. So it goes with this family. While they are there, first Elimelech dies. That's bad. She's a widow now, which in that time would have been awful. But she still has her two sons at least to take care of her. Then the two sons die, leaving all three women, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, penniless and hopeless. But then Ruth in 1.6 says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, back where they had come from, right, in Judah, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. I want you to notice the word return in Ruth 1.6. Something we might not even think about or look at. But in this verse, this is the first of 12 times this Hebrew word, it's sub, S-U-B, is used in the book of Ruth over the next 16 verses. 12 times this verb, sub, return, is used in the next 16 verses. The word means return, that's true, but it has more depth of meaning in the Hebrew, which is restoration, repentance, or to bring back and restore. I wonder if the author is trying to tell us something about what it means and about what it looks like for us to return from tragedy. How we return from anything matters. That's what I was saying to begin with. But the temptation to not return well from tragedy, difficulty, pain, loss is great. Naomi, it says, prepared to sub prepared to return i guess at some point she realizes how difficult this must be for her daughters-in-law who aren't from where she's from it's not their homeland that they're going back to they've lost everything and now they're going to go back to a foreign land she must realize this must be difficult for them so in verse 8 she urges them to sub return to their mother's homes in moab And at first, both Ruth and Orpah refused. They're like, no, we're going with you. We're going to return, they use that word again, sub, with you to Israel. And after they refuse to leave her, Naomi again urges them to sub two more times in verses 11 and 12. You can read it. And then after Naomi, she gives this compelling speech again. This time, Orpah, you know, she acquiesces. She's like, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to sub to Moab. Naomi points this out to Ruth in verse 15. She says, look, your sister-in-law is going back. Says that There's that verb again. She's sub. She's going back. It's used there again. She's going back to her people and her gods. And then in arguably the most beautiful speech in all of the Old Testament, Ruth says she will not listen to Naomi. And she replies this way, verse 16. Let's read it. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Turn back, sub. It's another way of, because you, you could turn back. This verb could be used to apostatize, or this verb could be mean to return to God. She said, I'm not returning back to my land and my gods. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God where you die I will die and there I will be buried may the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me isn't it interesting that the verse we have come to equate with wedding vows is actually describing a depth of friendship most of us will never experience but we should in the body of Christ It's like, well, I can't wait to get married. And and great, but did you know the depth of friendship that is described right here has absolutely nothing to do with marriage and everything to do with a friendship and a knitting that God has done between these two women. Let's go on and read. So they continue returning together, and then Naomi gets back into Bethlehem after a decade of being absent, and she says in a kind of a play on words in this verse, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back. There it is again, sub, return me empty. Kind of like when you give a bag of candy to your kids, and they return it back to you empty. Or hey, hey take a sip. Ever said that? Take a, hey, just take a sip. You come back, it's like... heck is my milkshake return it back to you empty and here it is i was full but god returned me to my land my community empty the message translation puts it like this naomi says god has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back but let's ask is that really true Is Naomi really completely empty? Is she totally forsaken? Does she really have nothing? Was she actually full when she left in the first place? Because that's what she said. I was full when I left. Was she? I thought there was a famine. The reason I say this is because many times in the middle of our pain or just returning from our tragedy or difficulty or dealing with loss, we paint a more positive picture of our previous state. It could be Egypt. Oh, let's just go back there. At least we had food. It could be famine. Well, man, I left here full. It's the exact opposite of that. It could be our old life. It could be our old friends. It could be the old way the church used to be. It could be our old habits. It could be our old ways. We are experts of romanticizing the past to fit our own desires in the present. And that's not how God is doing this. Thank you, Miss Joe. I appreciate you liking that. <laughs> it's true. Let me ask you this morning how would you say you are returning? Would you say you're better or would you say you're bitter? Are you worse? Are you empty? Are you full? Maybe you've been thinking of all the people you've lost along the way, like Naomi. She lost the ones closest to her. Her dream of her family and the future that she was hoping for had seemingly died. Decades of relationships, gone in an instant, it seems. I would think that sounds familiar to many of us. I think over the last few years, we've all lost a lot. I've experienced loss. Ten-year-plus relationships, some even longer, gone. But how we return from that matters how we return from battle matters and it's been a spiritual battle because that's what we're in as believers whether we realize it or not how we return from tragedy and difficulty and trials matter how we return from being separated matters how are you returning but Naomi said she returned empty. The Lord had made her life very bitter. She said that God had brought misfortune upon her. Maybe she was complaining. That's kind of how I read it. But others think that maybe she was just affirming the sovereignty of God over her life. This is how it is. God is sovereign. However, the pain has a way of affecting our perspective. Was what Naomi said really true? How did she really return? This is so brilliant. If you look at this next verse with this last use of the verb sub in chapter one we're told say no so naomi returned sub from moab accompanied by ruth the moabite her daughter-in-law arriving in bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning although she was declaring god's sovereignty she still couldn't see god's salvation you ever done that well god you're sovereign but i really don't see what's going on right here well god you're sovereign but man i don't know what you're doing but what's naomi empty no she was so far from empty and so are we church We are so far from empty. Let's look at how provided for Naomi actually was. And at the same time, I hope better understand how we can continue to return well as believers, not just from what we've come through in the last few years, but what we will go through in the future as a church. No matter what we go through in life, there is a way to return that glorifies God. So let me give you three things that I think we can learn from her returning. Number one, refuse something. Number two, reach for something. Number three, reframe something. There's something to refuse, there's something to reach for, and there's something to reframe. Number one, we refuse something. What do I mean? I mean we refuse to believe Naomi's lie. We refuse to believe the lie of Naomi. What was the lie? The lie that she was all alone. Isn't that always what the enemy wants to tell us? You're all alone. You're the only one. Nobody's failed like this. Nobody's ever done as badly as you've done. This is what we hear, alone in our pain, alone in our trials, alone in our failures. You're all alone. And that's what Naomi thought. Naomi was so blinded by her pain of her loss that she could not see who and what was standing right in front of her. Who did Naomi return with? Ruth. Ruth, Naomi's feelings were not facts. This is the case so many times, our feelings are not facts. They can help lead us to facts, but they are not the facts. Problematically, our feelings can actually blind us from the facts. Let's not be so blinded by our pain of whatever we're returning from that we miss how God is providing something even better for us of what we're returning to. In this case, and maybe yours, don't be so focused on what or who we have lost that we can't see what or who we have gained. I mean, it's kind of incredible. At the very moment that Naomi says, i've got nothing but the clothes on my back the greatest gift of friendship that we probably see in the bible that she'd ever known was standing right next to her one if not the greatest examples of friendship in the bible is right there with her ruth whose very name means friendship is right there with her had stayed when everybody else had left let me ask you something Who has stayed with you through everything? Who has joined you in the middle of everything? Your greatest church family are the ones who are right beside you who stayed with you. My greatest staff are those who are right beside me and have stayed with me. These are your true friends. Let's not be so blinded by the pain of who we have lost that we cannot see the gift of who we have gained. You see, the pain or hurt of who have left should not overshadow the gift of who has stayed. Why? Because there is no hope in that kind of outlook. And our God is a God of hope. Our God is a redeemer and a restorer of the past, not a rewinder and a replayer of the past. He brings hope to the hopeless in the middle and despite and in in spite of the things that we have been through without him it is hopeless i recently heard a friend of mine pastor morgan stevens as i mentioned a moment ago and uh, he was actually kind of sharing this whole kind of story with us and i said man i want to use some of this for a message it's so good can i and he said yes and i'm grateful but he was telling a group of pastors from the east coast as we were meeting together his favorite metaphor over the last few years for leadership and it hit home with me and so i want to share it with you is a picture of an ancient sea captain who is sailing from one continent to somewhere else across the ocean cuz most of the time like we're just going somewhere we don't even know where never been there before any student of history and travel knows that sea voyages have improved drastically over the centuries and for that we're grateful but back in the ancient maritime days, if you will, the captain set off on his journey aimed in some direction, like, well, we're gonna go that away, way towards a new land that he's never seen, never been to. And inevitably, when the storms come, the viruses begin to run their course on the ships when they get a little off course and the time goes on longer than they expected and they they start to not have enough food and people start to die of starvation, what was the leader's job? Basically to keep as many people alive as possible. No matter what happened or how amazing the captain was, for the most part, all those captains arrived with fewer people than they set out with. Do we say that they were bad leaders because they got to the other side and there were fewer people? no and neither would they they knew they couldn't be so broken by who or what they had lost along the way that they neglected to be grateful for who stayed on board and made it to the other side with them Leadership isn't judged only on the fact that you lost someone along the way. Death happens on long voyages across choppy waters. Losses happen in the life of a Christian who's on a pilgrimage or a voyage, if you will, through this life where there's trials and difficulty. Is it sad? Absolutely. Is it the whole story or the end of the story? Never in Christ. Let me encourage you, refuse Naomi's lie that there's no one left. That your best people are gone, that life will never be the same, that God is done using your life, or he can't somehow provide. Let me tell you, some of your greatest friendships are standing right next to you right now. Some of your best strategic alliances for what God wants to do in his kingdom are walking beside you right now. You are returning with your roots, your best people. And if I could be so bold and prophetic, I would say this about you, church. You are our roots. You are the ones through whom we are going to receive back what God wants to return to us, that the enemy has tried to steal. If you are here today, you have stayed, or you've shown up in the middle of difficulties, you are God's gift to this church and to our future. Refuse to believe Naomi's lie. Number two, reach for something. What is it? Naomi was, wasn't just returning with someone. She was returning to something. It says she was returning as the barley harvest was just beginning. See, we're not just returning with someone. We're returning to something. Remember how she left? In famine. Now how is she returning? In harvest. Harvest for her to glean in. If she would only see it. And in the same way, I believe there is a harvest for us in Focus Church if we would just see it. People are hungry for connection. They're hungry for God's Word. They're hungry for sur- supernatural peace in a world that has none non-christians are hungry for something that is safe secure satisfying and guess what that is it is found in christ alone that's the message that we have let's stop obsessing over reaching backwards to pull other christians along who don't want to go where god's taking us and let's start reaching for the harvest that god has returned us into (laughs) There's a harvest for this church. There's a harvest in our elementary schools and our middle schools. There's a harvest in our high schools and for Pastor Keevan and, and our Student ministry, there's a harvest for our campus missionary at Augusta University. There's a harvest at Payne College as we reach out there in the fall. There's a harvest in our county. There's a harvest in our neighborhoods, on our jobs, in our families. In Focus Church, there's a harvest for us that is just beginning if we will reach for it. Love God, love people, reach the world, extend your faith, and let's reach for it. Isn't that what Jesus said? That the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord would send workers. And do you know that the answer to that prayer in Matthew 9, I think in the chapter next chapter, is those people that prayed? We're not praying for somebody else to go. We're praying that we would have the boldness and the confidence to reach for the fact that we're the ones that are supposed to go into the places that only you can go. And number three, reframe something. Have you ever had a piece of art, picture, or even a replica, but you didn't have it framed? doesn't do you a whole lot of good rolled up in a canister. Can't really see or appreciate the beauty of the picture. Here's what I mean. Let's reframe how we see our pain and suffering and difficulty today. Think about Naomi. Though she struggled and suffered, who did she struggle with? God. Who did she suffer with? God. She never once said, I'm through with God, I'm done with my faith, I'm done with this church, I'm done with these people. She never said that, I'm walking away from my community. No, here's what she did say, the Lord Almighty has dealt me a severe blow. But who was right beside her watching the whole time? Ruth. In this way, her pain and her difficulty was evangelistic. Isn't this the essence of God, using what the enemy would choose to use for harm and using it for our good? Isn't it the essence of God taking what would be bad in our life and maybe a bad situation and turning it around and using it evangelistically to show somebody Jesus in us through the difficulty? God used Naomi's pain and loss to bring Ruth to faith. But it wasn't only evangelistic. It was redemptive. That's what returning means. Because Naomi stayed in a relationship with God who was bigger than her, that knew better than her and had more control of the situation than she could ever have and in the end her whole family line was redeemed and she was even found in the lineage of jesus christ himself recently i was at a meeting that i didn't really want to go to if i'm being honest i got to be honest that's kind of how most meetings are for me okay good but here's what i've learned I have learned that over the years, when I feel that way about a place relationally that God has me, that I probably really need to get there. That God has something for me if I will just get there, much like church for us each week. How many times have you woken up and thought, man, there's empty chairs, people, but if I'll just get there, even though I don't feel like it, I bet... Because God is a father who loves to give good gifts to his children, he's got something for me if I'll just show up. And it was during this time of prayer that I'd showed up at this meeting with these pastors at this table, there's like four of us praying for one another, some I knew, some I didn't know that well. And a young man who I didn't know that well who had just planted a church this year in Washington, one of the wards in Washington, D.C. And he doesn't, I don't know him, he doesn't really know me, he knows of me because I think he knows some of my kids. Because he's about their age, but he looked at me and he said, while we were praying, I just felt like this is what God wanted me to share with you. God has a generational blessing for you. God is encouraging your kids through the standing firm and staying together that you and your wife have done through all the pain of the last two years. They see you and God is encouraging them. You know what that did? That reframed the past few years for me in an instant. Here's what we need to see in this reframing picture of our lives. It doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what kind of pain you have faced or or endured or maybe facing right now. How you return from this valley determines how God can glorify what you've gone through. God glorified what Naomi went through. What do I mean? Paul uses this word in Romans eight and he says, and those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What does that mean? Glorified in the Greek means To cause the dignity and the worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. I'm telling you, church, all the difficulty and the darkness, all the discouragement and the fear and the frustration that you and I have gone through only makes the provision of God that much sweeter when He reframes what He's doing in our life. I'd have never chosen this path. Maybe you feel the same way about similar things or maybe stuff that's unique to you and your life and your family. But if you will trust God, if you will stay with him, your story will have an ending that will glorify his name in powerful ways. Absolutely. What I'm not saying is that God, what he's doing now and what he does next somehow makes up for the difficulty or the pain or the hurt or somehow replaces what was lost. That's not what I'm saying. But it does reframe our experience. It does give us a different perspective as to why we went through whatever we went through to be fully restored, redeemed, in essence, to return in order to glorify God, to return well. That's what Paul's saying and that's what's happening with Naomi right here. He's saying there is a moment coming one day, my friends, where you who where who you have been all along No matter the very real bad things that happen to you, no matter the garbage that you endure, there is a day, there is a moment coming where you will be revealed for who you really are. Your true worth, your true dignity in Christ will be revealed and acknowledged. And at that moment, it will be better and sweeter and richer for what you've been through with God by your side to get to the other side. This is why James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Paul says in Philippians, What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Yes. And when we see Jesus face to face, this is when we fully understand what we receive in his presence will vindicate all that we've suffered and it will make it all the sweeter because what we've been through now on this side with God by our side every step of the way makes the other side worth it. We can't understand it now. I don't doesn't always make sense it may never this side of heaven but when the return of the king happens or I die whichever takes place first when I stand in the presence when we stand in the presence of our loving father this in his presence Will be fullness of joy and it will all make perfect complete sense i wonder if we really believe that were true if we could reframe what we're going through right now or what we have been through in order that we might glorify god refuse the lie you're not alone reach for something reach for the harvest that god has for us church and refrain what you've gone through all the challenges all the trials all the tragedies as they're only making us better than we were when we began i promise you this redemption is coming because our god is a redeemer that's what the rest of ruth tells us that god is a redeemer because the question of ruth is well, where is god in all of this he's always there He's never left. He's always by our sides. He's always at work. He's always ready to redeem what the enemy has tried to steal or to destroy. And this is all going to culminate, watch this, because all this will culminate one day when we return. Because this isn't our home. And one day we're going to sube. We're going to return back to our home in heaven with God, our Father. And hopefully it will be in such a way that he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is your true self. This is who you are. So I'm encouraging you, church, this morning. I want us to continue to return well. Refuse the lie. Let's reach for the harvest. And let's reframe the things God has done so that it can bring glory to God and good to our lives. Amen. Let's pray.